What's popping, y'all? Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Heliocentric Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. Today's episode, we wrapping up week two, heading into week three with a lot on the NBA slate. We got Wimby Talk, Scotty Barnes Resurgence, and the in-season tournament with a lot of other things around the league. But before we dive into that, I just want to remind you guys at home, we're watching from YouTube. Make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe for my audio listeners and some of my visual listeners head over to whatever podcast platform you use for audio listening and leave this podcast a five star like i want to give a lot of love to y'all this past week after the first release of the first episode we dominated the charts um, we got all the way as high as the top 10 we were trending in australia all week long every day we just moving up and up and up and i cannot thank you guys enough i'm super appreciative of all the love all the support couple times me and kenny was around each other on the charge that was an incredible moment to experience uh, we had a couple situations where we were around guys that i grew up watching and admiring podcast p we were next to and we eventually um, got past them and we were around shannon sharp nick wright just certain people whose names have been prominent in the in the space for a while and guys like i said that i grew up watching on tv or watching playing and it was just a cool experience to see my podcast um, in, the, in the, the higher ranks with the guys who do this at the highest level. So I appreciate y'all. Uh, let's keep pushing. Let's keep rolling. And let's make that a thing that's the norm. Let's let's continue to be on these charts. Let's continue to have this podcast on the higher ranks um, and up on the upper echelon of good sports and most importantly, good basketball talk. So I thank y'all for that once again. Now for the good stuff, the NBA um, yesterday, last night was an incredible night of basketball. Unexpectedly, um, a lot of different things happened. We had the Cavs versus the Warriors. The Cavs were able to get their first win at home, and the Warriors um, took their first L in a row. We know what the Warriors were like last year, struggling to get wins on the road. So it was good to see them come out and start the season um, on a good note as far as playing on the road. So. Yesterday, five-game winning streak snapped by the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell continues to be electrifying. He is a guy that is sneaky um, to think about with the MVP-type seasons. The Cavs have had their struggles, especially with injuries. Uh, Darius Garland has missed time. Jared Allen has missed time. I believe Donovan Mitchell even missed a little bit of time. Isaac Okoro didn't play last night. So they have a lot of bodies that have been in and out of the lineup. So the record doesn't reflect that. But once they get back on track... And you see the way he's been performing and his input and impact on the few wins that they have this season. He is a guy that you should watch closely because you have to expect that they're going to get on track um, when they get fully healthy at some point this season. With the Warriors, like I said, love to see them winning on the road, getting that figured out. Uh, let Draymond tell it. The chemistry is one of a kind because last year was just so tough to show up to work. Who knows why? I, I don't know why it would have been tough or awkward in the locker room last year coming off of a championship. Uh, we were trying to repeat. Who knows what happened? Wink, wink. Um, that was a weird quote. We'll talk about I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, just real quick. I don't I just those are the type of quotes that make me scratch my head and talk about like self-reflection or uh, tone deaf is a is a term that people use for that. Like Draymond, y'all came off of a championship win. You were trying to get the contract extension that you eventually got. Jordan Clark, I mean Jordan Poole had got his. Y'all bickered at a practice and you punched him. That dominated the headlines the entire season. As a guy like you who's been polarizing because you're such an incredible basketball mind and an incredible basketball player who's played a huge part 
and one of the biggest and most popular dynasties that we've seen in a long time. Um, and that's what happened. And so because of that and everything that comes with you with the suspension and the 3-1 comeback and the kicking people and the beefs and the, the technical fouls and all of these different situations you've been a part of, that was just another added thing that was 10 times worse than anything you've done this, you know, in your career. And yeah, you, you affected a teammate and affected their family and you made it a, a weird working environment. And it was because of your doing. And I, I just, it was just a weird quote to kind of emphasize. And I think it would be best if they just leave that situation alone. It was already handled wrongly when they made the little document, uh, document, uh, what is it called? The, 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 documentary i don't know i'm my fault uh brain fault so documentary about draymond and the whole situation was already weird with tnt or whatever and now jordan Poole is on an entirely different team you'll have a entirely different roster and i think they should just leave that situation alone hey situation happened we don't ever have to talk about it again that's how jordan Poole hands handles it first thing they asked him when he got there man what was the draymond thing he's like I'm, I'm not talking about that like i'm on a new team new situation let's talk about that but for some reason, in Golden State with Draymond, it's just like, hey, let's throw shots. And so that was strange to me. But um, the Warriors have been playing good basketball. I do have some concerns. They are still too small. Last night showed because the Cavaliers were able to really dominate the glass. I think they out-rebound them by plus 10. Um, the Warriors did get a bunch of offensive rebounds. We know Kevon Looney and, and, and the team does that well. But they lacked the defensive rebounding. That's where they really got killed. I think they had like 27 defensive rebounds, which is extremely low. And it's hard to close out possessions. And when you're giving second chance team, second chance looks to any team, um, it's going to hurt you, especially teams that have players with talented guards like Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell especially. So I, I, I want to I figure out how they can fix that and patch that up. There is a name out there that we'll get to that I'll link back up with them very later in the podcast um, at some point. Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins has to come alive. I think Andrew Wiggins is a big X factor, and I want to see him starting to get into that groove. If not, I know they're not the biggest trading team. And like I said, we'll get to it at some point. What are we doing there? And are we looking at different routes to get better for this team to propel themselves back into contention? So that's something to watch out for. Another game that was on the slate last night, um, LaMelo. LaMelo finally had the game that we've been looking for. For him, he had a 30-point triple-double and a loss to the Mavericks. The Mavericks continue to play good basketball. They bounced back after their first loss this season against the Nuggets. Uh, Derek Lively, double-double, I think 16-14. and 14. Huge, huge performance for him. Tim Hardaway Jr. continues to be electrifying off that bench. Six-man-of-the-year candidate there. Um, and I love to see what I'm seeing from the Mavericks. The first real tough performance from Brandon Miller in his rookie campaign, he got the start in place of Terry Rozier, who had a really, really tough injury against the Pacers the other night where the Hornets were able to squeeze that win out. So um, good basketball from LaMelo. Good to see him get back on track with an explosive performance. Hopefully we can see more of that. And if he's playing like that and we get the Brandon Miller, we have been getting the early parts of the year or the first few games of the season. I think this can be something to watch. Nothing that they're going to make the playoffs anything, but just something to get them them going. They need to to get the core rolling and to figure out exactly what direction they want to go 
um, during some part of the season. We also had the Raptors. Raptors got a win over the Spurs. We're going to talk about that because Scotty Barnes is going to be a huge topic. But good overtime win for the Raptors out there in San Antonio. That was probably the best and most fun game to watch on last night's slate. You got Kevin Durant. Third uh, 40-point game. Third straight 40-point game against the Pistons. That's just a weird stat um, that I heard them say. To have three straight 40-point games against a specific team lets me know that Anytime KD match up with them, he looking about, he looking at a barbecue chicken, straight barbecue chicken. He said, "I got forty waiting for Detroit." Anytime Detroit is on the schedule, I don't have to get no good sleep. I can probably stay up late <laughs> because because that, that's the easy forty. Um, in that loss though, Marcus Sasser and Asar Thompson really really showed out. Great games for them. Marcus Sasser, I believe, had like a dub. He's been shooting the ball really well and been been nice for them off that bench over the last couple of games. And then Asar Thompson defensively is just causing havoc all over the floor. Asar Thompson also helped me realize that when you, like, knock the ball out of somebody's hands, the NBA is counting that as a block. It's not a steal. It's a block. You would think that that would be a steal, but I guess it can't be a steal because if the team recovers it, then what is it? So the count those as blocks because I went and I was like, let me see the four blocks that Asar had. And um, a few of those blocks were him just knocking the ball out of opponent's hands and they're counting those as blocks. So... Um, I, I don't think I was aware or privy to that before um, before last night. And then last but not least, the Grizzlies. One of the topics in today's episode, the Grizzlies going to talk about how they should handle this one and six start. But luckily for them, they did get their first win. An incredible performance behind Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson. Bain had 30, Jaron Jackson had 27, and they came to play. Um, so, yeah, good games last night. Um the first thing I want to start off with, though, in our overall basketball talk is Wimby. I don't want to say the Wimby talk. I don't want to make y'all wait for it. Wimby's world is a title of this podcast for a reason. Um, a lot to unpack with Wimby, right? First and foremost, we have the performance against the Suns, which is, to me, a glimpse into what is to come and what's to expect and why the rest of the NBA as fans, media, personnel, and the front office for all other 29 teams outside of San Antonio – we should all be scared. We should all be very afraid and we should prepare for what's to come because that was just a small glimpse into the takeover or the uh, yeah, the takeover, the takeover that is about to happen and erupt at some point. Um, so we'll dive into that. The other things that I want to unpack before we get into the actual basketball and performances from Wimby is the impact that it has on the game and the NBA community. So my excitement level right now as a fan heading into week three is still on level 15. Usually what happens is the season ends and we go into the offseason and we have player movement and free agency. We have trades. We have the draft. We have new teams getting new coaches, uh, you know, new uniforms, all these type of things that help us get excited as fans for basketball to return. So that first night, the first opening night and even the second night, I think a lot of fans, their meter is on 15. One, one through 10, the excitement level is on 15 because we just haven't had basketball in a long time. And we're excited to see new faces and new places and the new guys entering the league and everybody's team um, is, is coming in with high hopes. Then after the first week, usually the excitement dips. It doesn't dip anything crazy. It's not a bad dip. It ain't that it goes from super excited to I don't care anymore. But usually it teeters back to 10, right? You're 15, you're fiending. You can't wait. It's all you're thinking about. And then you start to get into the flow and that meter drops from 15 to 10. So you're still excited, but you're just not fiending for it. 
for me going into week three, I'm still fiending for it every single night. I'm looking at the slate. I'm looking at what teams I could potentially watch, who I can look at, what's going on. I'm looking at the stats constantly, looking at trends, looking at who's performing, who's, you know, underperforming, disappointing. I'm looking around day by day, hour by hour, everything that I can keep a pulse on in the league. I'm trying to. My excitement level has not dipped yet. I understand at some point it's going to dip. But I really think that I'm going to be past 10 the entire season. And one of the reasons is Victor Wimbiyama. On a night-by-night basis, this is the first time that I've ever experienced, and I think we've experienced as a basketball community, the excitement of watching somebody develop in front of our eyes. That's the first part of it. We're watching a young player develop in real time as a basketball community. Other rookies who come in, they've excited us and they've made us feel like we have to watch them, but not on a night-by-night basis. This is must-see TV. If you if you blink, you feel like you'll miss something. There's FOMO with watching Vic. And usually teams, fan bases will be able to watch every game of a rookie, and that's the norm. And like So, for example, Kay Cunningham. When Kay Cunningham came into the league, I was excited. I like Kay Cunningham. I'm a big Kay Cunningham fan. Loved him at Oklahoma State. Um, everything was was there, Mount Verde, all of that. Good player. But my excitement level wasn't like I need to watch him every single night, every game of his rookie season. I have to watch the Detroit Pistons to see this guy. It was more so like the rookie debut I'm definitely watching. Oh, if they're playing and I'm, I have time to click over, let me see what Cade's doing. Or if they play my team, the Knicks, I'm definitely watching. And you might, you know, on any given night, if, if you have the time to watch them, you'll watch them. But you're not necessarily clearing out the schedule and turning off games to go watch Cade. As good of a rookie as he was and as excited as we were to see him develop, it wasn't like, man, I cannot afford to miss a Pistons game. Same thing with... Anthony Edwards, when he came into the league, it was like, this dude is exciting. He's cool. I'll watch here. Or you see a highlight or something. It's like, oh, man, cool. But it's not like I have to tune in. I cannot. We're experiencing that with Vic. The hype is real, number one. And the attention is there. And the basketball community, we're watching together. And that unpacks a whole different can of worms in itself. Because it's been refreshing to me. And that's what has helped my excitement level. Basketball talk, uh, basketball discourse, over the last few seasons, it's been all over the place. Fan bases constantly find ways to complain. Anytime you don't say the greatest thing about somebody's team or a player on the team, you're hating. You can't be honest. You can't speak facts. It's it's so super sensitive. Everything is a comparison. Everything is just like people coming in and killing the vibes of just good basketball talk and good basketball experiences. And Vic is refreshing because I don't get that now. What I will say is we definitely had the ball ball bullshit with Vic's name, but real basketball minds like myself and a lot of other people that I've seen on Twitter, we laughed at that and didn't really give it no real attention, rightfully so. Other than that bullshit and the few people who want to continue to doubt just because they want to be different or they just have to fight against whatever, majority of people were excited. Not only are we excited, we're being patient which is bittersweet. You know, we're being patient. We're being understanding that this is a rookie and we're letting him play. We're letting him develop. We're not trying to write him off after the first five games. We're not going into the box score like, oh my gosh, he only got this amount of rebounds. Uh, Is he going to be that good? Like, no, 
and it's been refreshing. And the most important thing about it and the most exciting part is that I know people are watching because Vic in the excitement level doesn't come from the box score. You have to legitimately watch it. Some of the things he's doing and some of the things that you get excited about, they don't really pop out on the box score in a general stat, right? Like you see he averaging 20 points per game on basketball reference, but how he's averaging it, the type of buckets he's getting, that is what excites you. have to watch it to get it. And I know people are watching because, like I said, when you look at the outright numbers, the general stats, he's averaging 20 points per game, eight rebounds, two assists. Now, for a guy with this much hype, this is the most hype rookie I've seen coming to the NBA since LeBron James, legitimately. I know people have tried to throw that out there. This is legit. This is the most hype rookie I've seen since LeBron. And I had the luxury of seeing LeBron come in in 03 and be a basketball fan and be aware of the hype and everything that's going on. This is legit. Those numbers, 28 and 2, with three blocks as a 7-4 guy, shooting 49% from the field, 31% from three, 74% from the free throw line. Those aren't like historical, oh my gosh, this is the greatest ever numbers. So that's what I'm saying. The hype, you wouldn't get that hype from the numbers, just looking at a box score. The hype comes from watching and seeing, oh my gosh, how is anybody ever going to stop that? Oh my gosh, at 7-4, he's actually fluid. We knew he was fluid, but like this fluid, this early? He's getting his buckets this easily, and he's still figuring things out. This is a rookie. This is a kid. This is a teenager, if I'm not mistaken. He's not supposed, you know, like when he pieces this stuff together 50 games into the season, 65 games into the season, year two, year three, it's going to be over. If this is some of the pieces that we're getting in year one, that's where the excitement comes in. And for me, a big proponent of the basketball community and, you know, somebody who's trying to change certain dynamics of the basketball community and basketball discourse and how we talk and how we behave. Um, This has been a breath of fresh air. And I'm not even talking about the on-court stuff to watch as a fan, but just knowing that as a basketball community, we're all watching this together. We're all excited. There's nobody trying to be a buzzkill or be a party pooper. Um, Negative Nancy's are going to exist, but they're not affecting the excitement that we all, the rest of us have. Um, It's the fact that we're being patient. We're being understanding. We're not trying to quickly write somebody off and use the bus word uh, five games into the season, which I never understand. I never understand the conversations that we have as basketball, as a basketball community and basketball media. When a rookie doesn't get off to the proper start, whether it's five games, 10 games, the first year, the first two years, there's just this thirst and this quickness, and this eagerness to write players off, knowing that they're young, knowing that they're not even old enough to buy an alcoholic beverage. And it's like the quickness. Oh, he's a bust. It's year two, he's averaging 13 points per game. He's a bust. It's just be like, yo, we have enough information, enough data, and enough proof to show that development isn't, there's not a one type or one size fits all for development. You have guys that come out amazing. They come into the league rookie year, rock stars. Then the second year, sophomore slump. You have guys that ain't on shit their rookie years. The NBA, by stats, are saying this is the worst player in the NBA, Darius Garland. And then the second year, it's like, oh, hold up. Y'all, we we, we was wrong about that. Yeah. You have certain guys that don't do anything for the first couple of years, first few years. May have to switch teams. Malik Monk, 
Malik Monk and Charlotte, we were all like, man, what's up with Malik Monk? When are you going to do his thing? And then he switched teams, went to the Lakers, played a little bit better. Now he's with the Kings. And it's like, that's the Malik Monk that we always anticipated in coming to the league. So it's just like knowing that information, I don't get the eagerness to write players off, especially young players, because you're so young. You know, I mean, you have so much time to figure it out. You have so many opportunities, so many chances. How many rookies have come into the league and have not done anything and they still played six or seven years? They still played on four or five teams and had chance after chance after chance after chance. You know, Frank Nealakeen has played for the Knicks. He's played for the Mavericks. He's played for the Hornets. Like, um, Josh Jackson went to the Suns, the Pistons, the Kings. I feel like I'm forgetting a team. Like, guys get chances after chances and chances before they are out of the league legitimately. So the rush to have instant gratification, instant success, instantly figuring it out as a 19-year-old coming into the best league in the world, we have to chill. And to see that that patience and that understanding with Vic, like I said, is exciting. And it's a breath of fresh air. But it's bittersweet because I wish other players could get that type of respect. And then we wouldn't have a Scotty Barnes situation where a lot of y'all was on his ass in year two because he took a little dip. And it's like so extreme. And, um, oh, I gave up. I sold all my stock. Or um, I didn't I didn't think, you know, and now people got to go back and dig up old tweets or remind people you know we we shouldn't have to go through that in the first few years of somebody's career you know what i'm saying like we've we've had guys best year be their rookie year tyree gavin that's another situation so with all of that information it's just silly silly to me to do all of that that talking and dissecting every little thing from a player who's not like for instance scoot henderson Squid Henderson is having a really, really tough start to his NBA career. But I'm not going to waste no time on my podcast discussing it or trying to go really in depth to say, man, we got to start. We got to start talking about Scoot, man. Did, the, did Portland make the right decision? They had a, they had a men right there behind him. You know, they could have took a SAR. Look what a SAR is like those hindsight 2020 conversations and the quickness. It's just stupid. It just makes people look stupid. I'll never forget the Trey Young stuff. Trey Young came in and had a very rough start to his career. And everybody, oh, my gosh, look, bust, bust, bust. And then the second half, he got going, and everybody just tried to forget that they were saying those things and that they never was doubters and all these things. Lonzo Ball, like, just the quickness, the hype, and the the thirst to just write somebody off and call the young player a bust without giving them uh, the opportunity and chance to figure out the best league in the NBA is always mind-blowing to me. So those are the things that is getting me excited, keeping my excitement high, been refreshing to see and be a part of. Um, I'm having an extreme amount of fun with Vic, and I'm hoping that his impact um, off the court with all of these things can turn into something. This could be a new page or a new chapter that we start in the basketball community where we say, hey, look, look how fun it is to just enjoy the ride, to just watch young players learn as they go, make mistakes, have high nights, have low nights. And it's just fun to experience and just watch in real time, real development and progression in front of our eyes instead of making this a scientific lab experiment where we have to take every game and apply this and apply that and the on off and the VORP and like, no, let's just watch, look for certain intricacies, nuances of their game that they have figured out 
other things that they don't have figured out and try to project how it's going to look when they do figure it out and the excitement of just a new player that's young and going. Um, now, with all of that, the encore stuff with Vic. Incredible night and Phoenix. And, yeah, they played yesterday against Toronto, but I'm going to focus on Phoenix because that was the game that was the one that we were waiting for. That's the one that shows you why the hype is real. And that's also the game that is a good template for me to show or explain why I think the rest of us should be afraid and why this podcast is Wimby's world. This is Wimby's world and we're all living in it. And the quicker we accept it, the much more easier it'll be to deal with it when it actually is put together and pops. Um, 38 points. I believe he had 10 rebounds, probably had like three or four blocks. Can't remember the amount of blocks off the top of my head. Um, there's a there's a recipe for elite scores. Scores who have the lead the league type scoring um, ability. I think Vic can not only do that, but I think that can be like an arc in his career. I think Vic could be a 30 point per game score. Over the course of his career, not for a stretch, not for a couple of seasons, but over the course of his career. And the reason is being is because of a lot of things that I've seen in his son's game. So throughout the course of this game, Vic had a lot of that. A lot of those recipes that great scores have. He showed the first one is easy buckets, right? Because he's seven four, the Spurs have an opportunity or opportunities to generate easy looks for him. And what I mean by easy looks for any player, big, wing, small, dunks, layups. They require minimal effort. The easiest buckets in the game are layups and dunks. The further you're away from the basket, the tougher and harder the shot is. The closer you are to the basket, the easier the shot is to take and make. The Spurs generated... 12, 10 to 12 to 15 of those easy looks for Vic, or 14 of those easy looks for Vic throughout the course of that Suns game. Because the pick and roll, the switches, um, because he's so fluid and he's able to get up and down the court so fast, when he's the first person down the court on a fast break, usually the first person back for the opposing team is a guard. That guard now has to protect the rim and get on to Vic. And now that's a mismatch. Earlier on in the in the first few games of the season, because they don't have a traditional point guard or guard out there, a lot of times we would see the Spurs would miss dump in looks to Vic where he has somebody on him that's way smaller. We saw that a lot. We're probably going to continue to see it throughout the course of the season until they get an actual point guard in there because Jeremy Sohan, they're experimenting with that, which I'm not I'm not mad at at all, but he's not a legitimate point guard so those things are going to happen um so you have easy looks in transition pick and roll mismatches sets there was a play where somebody set a back screen for Vic to get a lob they set a back screen on Drew Eubanks I don't know how often Drew Eubanks is uh used to guarding back screens or getting back screened at all and you have certain players where Vic is just down there, and I've seen Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell blindly throw the ball. They're like, hey, Vic is down Vic is down there somewhere. Let me just throw this ball up. He'll catch it, and Vic, sure enough, catches it over D-Book and just puts it in the rim for easy two. So they generate easy looks. If you get Vic 8 to 12 easy looks per game, at the least, that's 16 points. 8 times 2, 16 points. 10 times 2, 20 points. 
12 times to 24 points. We're talking around 20 points a game just on dunks and layups. That's beautiful for any player, but it's beautiful for him. But not only is it beautiful, it's realistic because he's 7'4". He's 7'4". 20 points a night on just easy buckets is realistic for the Spurs to create and generate for Vic. The second part of this recipe of being an elite scorer, free throw shooting. Being able to draw fouls, being able to be aggressive and get to the line X amount of times. Because the next easiest type of bucket is a free throw. It's literally unguarded, not in real time, it's a dead ball possession. And you're at the free throw by yourself shooting. Believe this game, Vic got to the free throw line eight times. I want to say he made six or seven of those free throws. Out of the 10 or so uh, looks at the Spurs got him, I want to say he made like seven or eight. So he scored 14 points or 16 points on easy buckets, layups, and dunks. You add in another seven points, that's around 23 points already. We're at about 23 or 24 points in the game off dunks, layups, and free throws. And then... Throughout the rest of the four quarters, you have points that you get out of your bag, bag work, right? And we was able to see that with Vic as well. We saw a pull-up three. We saw the pick-and-pop three, pick-and-pop mid-range. We saw the face-up on Eric Gordon on the baseline rise right above him like he doesn't exist and shoot right above him. And then, boom, now you got 38 points. So that's where I get the, the fact that this dude can do this on a night-end basis because this is just season one. This is phase one. And I tell people all the time when they're trying to make podcasts or content, and they're like, how do I do it? Yo, just do it. Because the number one thing that you can get from just doing it is experience. Experience is key number one. It's the most important thing because experience makes you better. You learn. You have lessons. It shows you what to do, what not to do, trial and error. And that's the one thing that Vic doesn't have yet. So if he's able to do this now without experience, and what experience is going to bring him is the nuances of the game, like his spots. Where are my spots? What, what spots do I just feel so comfortable and unstoppable? Like, okay, right here. He don't have to figure it out yet. The second part is, this is the first phase and first version of the Spurs team that he's going to play with. This is not the team he's going to play with forever. At some point, they're going to get a traditional, real guard who can get him the ball properly and also be effective off of the ball to where it compliments him and they can't just pack it in on Vic and play off of everybody into the gaps, which teams will probably do. But I think Vic still won't be phased at 7-4 with some of the fluidity that he has in his game. But this is like the team is going to continue to get better. We have to remember that as well. And then by the end of this year, year two, year three, he's going to add on more strength. That was a play under the rim where Vic stepped through on Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant just knocked the ball out of his hand. It was a foul, sent him to the free throw line. In my mind, at some point, he's going to get strong enough to where he'll be able to finish and get that shot up through contact. Right now, he's not that strong. It's not, the strength isn't there. And they're just knocking him around, and they'll hardly foul him, and, and he won't be able to get shots up. At some point, he's going to put up put on enough strength to be able to get those shots through contact and finish and convert because he's so long, he's so athletic. He's going to be able to finish those, and those are going to be three-point plays. The other part with the added strength is – there was times where Drew Eubanks is able to push him out. The Spurs are trying to give Vic the ball in a block or a post-up touch. And when he catches it finally on the post-entry, he's catching it near the perimeter because he's allowing Drew Eubanks and other defenders that are stronger than him, 
right now to push them out. And the, the down part about that is you now have to start your move or start your post up way far out. That that uses so much energy. That's so much banging. And, and, you know, it allows the defense to set and really come and help because it takes so much time for you to get your move off. And the further you play away from the basket, the more tougher it's going to be to get to the basket. And a lot more energy is going to take to do that throughout the course of a game, especially for a young player. So I'm thinking about down the line when he gets his strength, when he knows his spots, when he's able to finish through contact, play through contact, when he's able to hold his ground and cement himself with his uh, base to stay solid on the post, when he can't be pushed out to the perimeter and stop a post touch from being a jump shot. Because that's what happened. A lot of times he got pushed out and those post touches turned into like a turnaround fade or I'm going to just take this contested uh, mid-range shot because it's going to take too long or too much energy to get to the, the block, to get back to the block. There's also the part where like he doesn't understand reposting. We're like, there's a couple of times where I'm like, there's enough time on the shot clock where Vic doesn't have to like catch it and play with the ball and reestablish yourself. Like he could just kick it back out, reestablish, repost, and they'll get you the ball. You know, instead of having to bang in and fight with the basketball and trying to re get, no, like throw it back out, run down to that block again, reestablish yourself, get a quick touch, and now you can just make a move and go. Those are the things that I'm thinking about. So if he's able to generate 38 points on a night like that, what, five, six games into his career without the strength? without the experience, without the proper teammates, when he does have all of that and the experience of being a year two, year three player, boy, are we in trouble. And all I'm talking about right now is offense. He had five blocks last night, I believe, against the Raptors. Five. (laughs) So this dude is going to be crazy. Welcome to Wimby's world. Um, I'm extremely excited to be able to, like I said, watch this guy develop and progress in real time with the rest of the basketball world because this is so interesting and he's so unique that game 15, Vic, probably will look different than game five, Vic. Game 50, Vic, may look like an entirely different player than the Vic I'm talking about right now throughout the first seven games of the season. Like, that we have a real legitimate chance to see real progression and real development in real time, as if it's like NBA 2K type shit. This is real. I'm worried as a guy who's not a Spurs fan. I'm a Knicks fan. How are we going to figure this out? This dude is the real deal. He's going to take over the league. I'm excited for it. Um, I know a lot of people are going to push against it because that's just the reality of the world we live in. People don't like new and they like to fight against different things. They want guys to earn the respect and earn the love, earn the privilege of being the face of the NBA. I'm all for that. And I understand that. But this dude is legit. This isn't a bowl bowl thing where it's like he's tall and this is what he should be. No, this is real. This is real. This dude can average over the course of his career 30 points per game. And this is not me trying to put any pressure on him. I'm not saying this before I've seen him play. This is me watching him play and coming up with the conclusion like, man, this dude can get X amount of easy buckets throughout the course of a game. He should be able to get to this the free throw line this amount of times. He's already getting like eight attempts and he's, he's, he's not getting superstar calls yet. He's going to get superstar calls. He's going to get that many times to the free throw line. And then when you watch the Suns game, you saw the pull-up three before half. You saw the three that closed the game, like the dagger. You see the turnaround and shoot over Eric Gord. Like, that's the bag work. So if you're able to get 25 points per game without having to touch your bag, 
and all you need is five points throughout the rest of the game to get 30 a night, that's a piece of cake to me. We should, I should be trying to see if he's going to average 35 over the course of his career. <laughs> Let me not put that type of pressure on him. Let me not put that type of pressure. But Vic, Vic has been phenomenal. Uh, welcome to Wimby's world. You should be excited. I'm excited, even though we're not Spurs fans. This is something, like I said, this is just a breath of fresh air. It means more than the actual context of him being a great player. Just what it brings to the basketball world um, as we all crowd around to watch and discuss this nightly. It feels like the Super Bowl. When you watch the Super Bowl and you see everybody on Twitter talking about it as one big family or you're watching the awards or the Grammys, whatever, and everybody on Twitter is talking about it. Like your entire timeline as a family is watching it. That's what we get for Vic. And with so much toxic energy, toxic conversations, so much comparisons, so much negative Nancy talk that we've gotten over the last few years with basketball, uh, social media, this is refreshing. It's bringing us together. It's giving us something to be happy about, to enjoy, and to push us as far as our basketball brains are to talk about developmental things and what we're seeing and different intricacies and, uh, you know, nuances of the game. I just love it as a legitimate basketball fan and basketball junkie. I think it's good for the game and uh, let's accept it. Let's embrace it. And um, shout out to Vic, man. Wimby's world. We just living in it Um, to build off of Vic, though. The rest of this draft class is exciting. And that's the thing that I'm looking at and I'm starring and I'm going to make a a star next to this because at some point I think I'm going to be able to do this. But I want to make a video about this draft class. It may not be this year. Because there's a lot of names and a lot of players a part of this class who haven't gotten their opportunity yet. The opportunity is going to come, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, and then there's the growth that you want to see from these players. But I have a legitimate thing in the back of my mind that's asking me, can this draft class or will this draft class be the greatest draft class ever? We just spent almost 30 minutes or probably 30 minutes talking about the first pick of this draft class, Wimby. He already himself brings a lot with his uniqueness, the potential the excitement, uh, the instant success, the instant imprint that he's leaving on the Spurs, that in itself could lead this draft class, right? Then you get the fact that Chet is tied into this draft class due to the fact that he was hurt his first year. So if Chet is rookie of the year, it will be with his draft class. If he's all rookie, it'll be with his draft class. Um, if he's second team or rookie, it'll be with the draft. He's forever going to be a part of his class. I know it's confusing. A lot of technicalities. Yeah, technically, he's going to be a part of Paolo's draft class because he was literally drafted that year. But because he didn't play, he now falls into the the Wimby's draft class and draft era. So he's a part of this class. We've seen what he's doing. Like, if there was no Wimby, I would probably be making this 30-minute video about him. If we're just being honest, the rim protection um, and, and how he's all over the place defensively for the Thunder and what he's going to bring to them, plus the shooting and the scoring ability and how that just opens up everything for Shea, Giddy, and all of those other guys out there in Oklahoma City. He's been amazing to start his career, and the hype was real with Chet. But then you also have, like, Asar Thompson. Asar in the game, like, like I said earlier in the beginning of the podcast, they played against the Suns yesterday, and, yeah, they lost, but Asar had four blocks and four steals. Defensively, he has been a sight to see, and he's been everywhere. And he, he has had some tough stretches offensively, but nobody really cares. People will say, like, man, that was a tough miss, or he airballed, whatever. But quickly, you forget about it because of the defensive plays he makes. And as a rookie, you're just not used to seeing this from a wing. Now, if a rookie big comes in like Chad and Vic, they're just 
uh, tall, big, long, and they have the timing down already in defensive rotations, and they're just making up blocks and just knocking shit out into the stands. That can be exciting, and you understand that. But for a wing to come in and be so bothersome on the defensive end, like that's been exciting. You also have Derek Lively, who, like I said, 16 and 14 last night against the Hornets. Nobody expected him to be this impactful for the Mavericks out of the out of the gate. Thought it may would take a little bit into the season, a couple months for him to figure things out. Would he would he even really play? Would it take some time for them to like really let him in? Or like, you know what I'm saying? Like what would really happen? We don't we we weren't really expecting that out of the gate for him. So that was a very interesting sight to see. I love what we've been getting from from uh, Derek Lively to start the year. Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller has been coming off the bench for the Hornets, and that has been incredible and a sight to see. Um, he's been really doing his thing. A lot of talk about how he, he was the wrong pick and different things like that. The Hornets are going to regret it. I think they made the right pick, and they're seeing that, and he's having good success for them. Marcus Sasser, like I said earlier, came off the bench and did his thing for the Pistons. Jordan Hawkins has been killing it for the Pelicans. Yeah, from a yeah from a from a stats man, that is tough to get out from a from a statistical standpoint. Damn it. There has been a lot that you could want, and the shooting percentages may not be there for um, Jordan Hawkins or somebody like that. But, again, like Vic, if we're patient, if we're understanding, we will just accept what we do love to see. Jordan Hawkins had a game where he came out and he shot 13, 14 threes as a rookie. That's a tough job to just come in and say, yo, shoot the basketball. We need shooting. Just shoot it. Green light, go. A lot of rookies aren't comfortable enough to go into that role. I think he did a really, really good job. Um, out of the gate in the first couple of weeks of the season, he was thrown into that role, and he's been willing, and he has made some shots. He's missed a bunch, uh, but just to see him be more comfortable in that situation, in that light, I was impressed with um, Anthony Black in the first game that he started with the Magic. They ran the Lakers off of the court. He was very impactful in that, and a lot of people on Twitter was seeing the hype and why a lot of people like myself were really, really high on Anthony Black coming out of the draft. Kaysen Wallace, another rookie for the Thunder. Bilal, like Bilal Kulabadi, has been impactful on a Wizards team that's been struggling. The Wizards are the, like, they just ha- not have been good. They've been the worst watch. The Grizzlies are the worst record team in the NBA, but at least the Wizards, uh, at least the Grizzlies have fought in some of the games and made them tough. And um, ironically, the Wizards did beat the Grizzlies. <laughs> did beat the Grizzlies. But, like, the Wizards are down 20 throwing lobs off of the backboard. Like, Jordan Poole... I think is like a negative 46 and expected wins when he's playing. He makes them look like a team that should win 46 that should lose 46 more games than they already are projected. Like the differential for him is like negative 25. They're 25 points worse when he's playing. And obviously stats like that don't tell everything because obviously he's one of the best players and you, you want him on the floor to give you a chance to win. But like they give up 12 and 12.6 more points defensively when he's out there and they score 12.5 less points when he's out there offensively so combined they're like 26 points worse when he's playing Kyle Kuzma is somewhere not that far from that and with all of the losing with all of that the two best players not being that impactful Bilal has found a way to be impactful when he's playing they're a plus team when he plays and it's largely on the defensive part of the basketball floor. So, like, that is very impressive. Hami Hakez playing with the Jazz. And then there's names that we, we want to see eventually. Jet Howard, I know out there in Orlando people want to see. Uh, Kobe Bufkin with Atlanta. Um, you got Cam Whitmore out there in Houston that we're going to definitely want to see. Taylor Hendricks, Jairus Walker um, in Indiana. 
Hendrickson, uh, Utah. There's so many, so much going on on those two teams that it's going to take some time for those guys to get minutes. But like when everybody is starting to get the opportunity, when everybody is being impactful, because I think they will, when everybody is getting into their groove and figuring out their role for each respective team, this rookie class is going to look really, really strong compared to a lot of different uh, classes in their most recent years. So I'm excited about that. I've been paying attention closely to all of those guys and all of those names. And I just feel like on a night in night basis, there's somebody to get excited about. And again, like Scoot is struggling. A menace hurt right now. His ankle um, is in like a boot on a high ankle sprain. So we haven't even seen a lot of other guys that are going to make this class even better and more exciting uh, for years to come. Scotty Barnes. This resurgence of Scotty Barnes, like I, I want to clap right now, but I don't want that noise of me clapping to, you know, get y'all caught off guard in the microphone. But Raptor fans, man, I am so happy for you guys. Um, and the reason being is I don't think people really understand how frustrating and how tough it can be on a fan base when you're kind of ushering out a new era and bringing in a new another new era like or ushering out an old era. So you lose Fred. The writing has been on a wall for Pascal to potentially leave. I know last year was kind of uncertain, but it looks this year like he's probably going to be be going elsewhere. Still don't know what's going on with OG. You know, Masai Ujiri and his team won a championship not that long ago, but now the coach who was a part of that is gone. Kawhi never came back. Norman Powell left. Fred left. You know, these are guys that you developed on your own and you got tied to. And now the guy that was supposed to make you excited for the new tide turning Scotty Barnes didn't really have a good second year after the rookie of the year campaign. And it's disheartening. And I know a lot of Raptor fans were not trying to buy into it and they were confident that Scotty would bounce back. But when you hear the chatter all year from social media and different personalities and different people in the media saying this, that, and third about a guy, it could probably get into your, your conscience a little bit like, man, right. Like, are they right? It's what's that just like a, 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 a peak year for Scotty already as a rookie. Like, did we did we miss out? Did we make the wrong? Like, so I understand that it could be stressful. It could be stressful as a fan. So to see him get back on track, it's refreshing. It's like, okay, we do got a guy. He is that guy. This is why we made him untouchable. This isn't you know. This is why we didn't you know entertain the Kevin Durant trades. This is why like we should get rid of Pascal. Scotty Barnes has been amazing. Um, last night specifically against the Spurs, they had a great win in overtime. Scotty Barnes hit the big clutch three to tie the game and send it into overtime. He also had the big inbound steal, which took away the Spurs' opportunity to get a game when a shot in, which I think was super clutch. Um, he had 30 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals, 3 blocks. Um, he's shooting 51% from the field right now, 42% from three, 76% from the free throw line on 22 points per game, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists, 2 blocks and a steal also per game. Um, he had a triple double already this year. Like I said, 30 point performance last night, more so than anything about the statistical standpoint stuff and those type of uh, analytical numbers and averages. When I'm watching, because I've watched about four or five of the first seven or six uh, Raptor games, the aggression. He just looks from the eye test of just watching and not even thinking about numbers. Just the viewing experience of Scotty Barnes has been refreshing this year because it's different. He's aggressive. He's not hesitant. He is out there like he is the man. This is my team. I am the best player for this team. He's taking shots that I like. It's within the Florida offense. He's still being what he's projected to be as a defensive guy, being able to dribble the ball and make plays. That's never going to leave his game. But the 
the hesitations that he had over the first few years were very frustrating to view. And I know Raptor fans felt the same way. But, like, I believe the first four shots of the Spurs game were threes. Catch the ball, he's open, he's shooting. Like he always should have been. So to see him doing that and not only have that aggression, but be efficient, the shots are falling, the threes are falling. Um, I'm loving the mid-range part of the game that he's added in and being more confident. He's creating a midi. He's not taking a bunch of mid-range shots throughout the course of games or on a per-game basis like a DeMar or Kevin Durant or the elite mid-range shooters. But he's not scared of it, and he's not running away from it. He's basically taking whatever the defense gives him. And that is going to open up his game even more. Because he's so strong, because he's so quick, and because he can't handle the ball, he's already a mismatch threat there because a lot of guys that you try to put on him that are bigger, they're going to be slower. Smaller guys that are quicker are going to be, you know, weaker. And now he's aggressively shooting threes. He's willing to take mid-range shots and create there. He's going to be able to get to the cup and finish. He's going to draw fouls. He can grab the rebound and push and start the break. He can create for others. All of those things are going to line up for him and, like, make him a, a star. And it's damn near like Draymond Green with an offensive bag. Like, imagine if Draymond Green could bring it up and get into his own shit. He can bring it up and create a mid-range step-back jumper. And, like, Jakob. Imagine Draymond could come in, come down, and tie the game up with a three like Scotty did last year. Like, imagine if that last night. Imagine if that was Draymond Green. We would all look at Draymond like, yo, what? He would have been left Golden State. Somebody would have threw him so much money, it would have been too hard to ignore. Scotty Barnes is kind of like that, where he's a Swiss Army knife defensively he can switch guard probably four positions maybe even sometimes five and then offensively he can shoot threes create in the mid-range create his own shot get to the cup he can be a ball handler in a pick and roll he can be the screener in a pick and roll he can come down a pin down he can be the screener in a pin down and then slip for dump ins and like he has mismatches uh whether it's small mismatches or big guys who are trying to stay in front of him like he can be a handful and for the raptors to have that it's exciting for them and their fan base, but it also now answers the question for them. And yes, it's time to trade Pascal Siakam. It's not because Pascal Siakam is a bad player. It's not because Pascal is a bad teammate. Um, it's just because Scotty now, what he does, it kind of gets into the way of Pascal. And it's not in a negative way. It's not to say that, you know, this is just basketball. It's only one basketball. It's only so many shots that can go around. And we already seen a start to the season Pascal, the last time I checked, and it could be different because they played a few games since I looked into this, but shot attempt basis, he was like tied for third with Gary Trent, who doesn't even start. It was like Scotty, Schroeder, Pascal, Gary Trent, and then OG Ananobi. I can't remember the last time that Pascal was that low on the shot attempts um, diet for the, uh, the Raptors. You know what I'm saying? Like Pascal numbers and his efficiency and just his rhythm has not been there the entire year. And I want to credit Pascal because he's keeping his head up. He's still staying engaged the ways that he can impact the game. He's impacting it. He's taking shots still. He's not, you know, being passive. Like he's just playing basketball and it's like, man, I'll figure it out as it goes. But for me, Scotty's resurgence lines up the stars for the Raptors to do the inevitable, which is move on from Pascal Siakam. I feel like they may have waited a little bit too long now because he's on the last year of his deal, because he's not having the greatest start to the year. When you do trade him, if you do trade him, which, again, I'm saying you should, you're probably not going to get a King's Ransom or anything crazy, but I still think it's good to get something. You may be able to get a first-round pick, some young player, or you know somebody that can coexist and help with Scotty um, or you know some depth. You can get something which is better than nothing. 
But if Pascal's season continues to go this route, you're not really that good of a team. You're solid, but you're not like great. You're not competing for anything crazy. I don't. I just don't know why he would come back. He would just leave on an open market. Um, and I think there are suitors out there that should call. For instance, I haven't heard anything, and I'm just cooking this off the top of my own brain. When I was sitting back and thinking, this is not really this team's style or recipe, but the Warriors. The Warriors need some help on interior, defensively, defensive rebounds, closing out possessions. Pascal gives them that size and that versatility. Andrew Wiggins is from Canada. I think he can go out there and play on the wing for Toronto. I believe their money should match some way because Andrew Wiggins makes a lot of money. Matter of fact, I'm going to do this live on a podcast for all of my audio listeners um, because I know I have visual people that can see me doing this. But for my audio listeners, I'm on my phone right now. And I'm going to say I I usually like I don't know the first episode. I didn't really want to go on my phone or look at my notes or whatever. But this is my show. I can do whatever the hell I want to do, especially if it's for getting facts. Right. So right now I'm looking at. Andrew Wiggins in his current contract, he has one, two, three, and then the last and fourth year is a player option. So he's making $24 million this year. He'll make $26 million next year, $28 million two years from now, and then the last year of that deal is $30 million. Pascal Siakam, on the other hand, probably makes a little bit more than that 24. Pascal is, what, probably 30, if I'm not mistaken, on this contract the last year. Current contract, he's making $37 million. $37 million. If there is a way that we can make this money match, you may have to throw in, throw in another player, but you'll have $24 million, and we have to figure out another way to get the $13 million to uh, to come into play. I'm looking at the, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Unless they can get a third team, it's going to be tough. There's just no other way to make this money up for the uh the Warriors they have big gap they have like Steph makes 51 this year Clay makes 43 Chris Paul makes 30 Wiggins makes 24 Draymond makes 22 and then boom Gary Payton uh the second makes eight so you got 20 million plus guys and then you have guys who make under 10 million so I don't know where the other 13 million dollars comes from I don't know what the salary looks like if they have to make the exact money match I would assume so because the Warriors already have so much money tied up with all of these heavy hitters, 51, 43, 30, 24, 22. But, man, Pascal Siakam on the last year of his deal with the Warriors, I like it. I like it. Now, resigning him and bringing him back, that's the question. I don't know what you want to do there. You will have Klay Thompson off of the books if you want to explore that situation. Um, I don't know how many years. uh, No, Chris Paul does have more years on his contract. The Sacramento Kings, I've seen them and their fan base and their team being like, hey, we can use Pascal Siakam next to Sabonis in the front court. I don't disagree. First round pick. Uh, I think I saw a trade where it was like a first round pick. I know it's going to hurt Sacramento, but Malik Monk and Harrison Barnes. And you still would have the uh, and I think Davion Mitchell, actually. Yeah, it was Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, Harrison Barnes and a 2026 first round pick and like a second round pick for Pascal Siakam and maybe one extra player Pascal Pascal and maybe somebody else I can't remember the other player but it was like a yeah it was like a 
three or four for two players to return. And then, yeah, your starting lineup would be what? De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, Pascal, and DeMontis Sabonis. Don't know how King fans feel about that. You know, there's always, like, it's Davion Mitchell, that guy where y'all like, no, we cannot trade him. We're so emotionally tied that we can just not trade Davion Mitchell. We just love him too much. Um, Detroit, do they want to expedite the things that they got going on over there and just give this a try on the last year of his deal and see if that works? Uh, You know, Kay Cunningham, um, Killian Hayes. You also have Asar. Or do they say, hey, nah, it's just too early to do that? I don't know. But I know there's going to be some suit at the Hawks. The Hawks. Do the Hawks say, hey, we're rolling with four and two, but we haven't looked the prettiest. Let's just jump on that. The Bulls, Chicago Bulls, are, you know, like they are so hesitant and so reluctant to hit that reset button. Do they just try and go and acquire Pascal? Hey, y'all want DeMar again? Y'all want to re- reunite DeMar with the Raptors? <laughs> like, I, I don't know, but I, I, I do think it's time uh, for, for Pascal to be traded, man. I think it's time for him. Man, I think it's time for the Raptors going to a different direction. And um, and yeah, just uh, just figure out what they should do and how they should build around Scotty for the better because he is looking like the future so far um, for that organization. One of the things that I do want to start doing on this podcast is eventually starting something called like the assist. And what the assist would be is you guys, the listeners, the viewers, reaching out to me. Uh, maybe the day before the podcast, I do this podcast. Sunday nights or Monday mornings and it comes out on Monday um, maybe tweeting me or leaving comments on a video I don't want that's where it gets tricky for my YouTube viewers I don't know if you want to leave a comment like will the comment or the topic or the viewpoint or opinion or hot take that you have will it be relevant a week later on Monday so I don't want to say drop comments in the YouTube video and I'll see which one makes sense for me because I don't want you guys to be like man looking at this you know, I don't like the way this and this is happening for this team. And then a week later, I go back and I look at the comments and that's not a relevant statement or viewpoint anymore. Um, so maybe we do something like, yeah, on Saturday night or Sundays, y'all hit me up on Twitter. Or if you want to leave comments on the YouTube videos and I can run through them before I do episodes to look for the assist of the day or the assist of the episode. And that assist can be a talking topic. You know, just something that can bring another point of talking to this podcast. So um, I'm opening up the gates for y'all to to let y'all ideas and views be heard. And hopefully we have some really, really good ones because I love incorporating the audience into the podcast um, on a week by week standpoint. Another thing that I want to start doing, I don't have the name of it, though, is I want to give players their flowers. I got a couple players. Um, that I want to name and I'm gonna give shout outs to but I want to name where it's just like I give these players or players that I I've been looking at their flowers Um, a couple of names for this past week Shaden Sharp a guy that I've been extremely vocal on and high on um, over this past year super excited to see him take certain steps and the fact that we were able to see those steps be taken uh, and them be clutch and they you know ran plays to him and he got the game you know save and block and like he's just been phenomenal he's been the bright spot there uh, they had a three-game winning streak going on after they failed the first three games he has been that that breath of fresh air that's rejuvenated them in my opinion um, you also have DeAndre Aiden who I was extremely critical of I was extremely critical of DeAndre Aiden in those first three games because it just did not look good at all and uh, I want to be able to be one of those people that come out and, and 
when they do right, give them their flowers. DeAndre Aiden deserves flowers. He's been rebounding like a madman. Last night, he didn't have the greatest game, especially shooting-wise. Um, that's been one of my biggest things is just his aggression and figuring things out offensively. But rebounding's sake, he's been there. And when he plays, this team has been a lot better. They are a much better team when DeAndre Aiden is on the floor. The on and off numbers speak for themselves for DeAndre Aiden and helps him with that case. So I want to give him his flowers. Um, and that's what this is all about. That's what I try to tell people all the time who are fans of different teams and different players. Like, yo, when I'm critical of a player, it doesn't come from a place of hate. I have no reason to hate against a franchise, a player, or you, the the fan of the team or player. I just it just it doesn't make me any money. It doesn't make me more popular. It does me no service to be a quote unquote hater. But a part of this job is having analysis on what's going on. And when guys are struggling. I have to analyze that and come up with the reasons why. And a lot of the time, it's about seeing things from players. I see a lot in DeAndre Aiden, and I want to see him reach that full full potential that I know is out there. So when I see him playing less than what I've seen him already play, it's frustrating, especially on a new team where the excitement level is high and it was a fresh slate. So to see him kind of bounce back and pick up and to play a little bit more basketball, super exciting and got to give him his flowers for that. Um also want to give Anthony Davis his flowers. Anthony Davis, uh, he's been leading the league in minutes. He's been available for the Lakers. That's been super, super big. Defensively, he's been cleaning up a lot for that team. They have to start getting things going. They've been losing a few uh, very embarrassing, big-time embarrassing loss against the Magic. But Anthony Davis has been scoring, rebounding, and defending his ass off for the Lakers. And he's been available, which is big, big, big when you talk about Anthony Davis. Tyrese Halliburton, incredible game against the Hornets. Sucks that they lost that game. 40 piece. Uh, he was making every play that, w- that was out there. Um, and that was super, super fun. And I'm loving to see the the step that he is taking into stardom. Um, him, Tyrese Maxey, they're, they're taking those jumps. Um, and I'm excited to see um, other guys start to take those leaps. And obviously, Scotty Barnes that we mentioned already. But I still think Tyrese Maxey is the leader for MIP. So shout out to Ty- Tyrese Maxey. And then guys that have been struggling. You know, when, when you give flowers and you give love, you also have to be critical. And, man, the Bulls in general. The Bulls just don't have anything figured out. Um, I, I think they need to blow this thing up and, and, and switch gears and switch directions immediately as soon as possible. Zach Levine hasn't really been effective for them in the way that you would want. Yeah, he had the 51-point game, and they won that. And, you know, he's going to put up numbers and score the basketball. But, like, just the impact and on the floor and, and putting them in position to win, he hasn't been that. DeMar hasn't been that. Vooch hasn't really been that. Patrick Williams is – I just don't know what's going on. I don't think there's a situation where you just fi- fire Billy Donovan and we act like it was all on him. This team just isn't it. And the longer they try to keep on, the more everybody else is going to fall. Like, Ak, the, the AK, the uh, GM, if he continues to try to push this on and just say, we're just going to fire Billy Donovan and act like it was all on him, then he'll be next. He'll be next, 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 next. So I think something has to brew there. Uh, Zach Levine has been the name in rumors. DeMar DeRozan probably is going to be a name that's in rumors. But I think they have to trade to that direction and accept the reality and the fate that they're in because it's not been a pretty sight of basketball to start the season for the Bulls. Um, Julius Randle on my Knicks, like, I'm going to just come out and say it. I don't think the Knicks can reach the potential or the height that they want to get to with Julius Randle on his team. I think we've capped out with Julius Randle. Uh, doesn't mean I won't ever root for the guy again. As long as he's a Nick, I'm going to root for him and and uh, hope that he can get it together. But, like, we just run into this these situations too much where 
what he brings and his strengths, they don't we don't really have the service for it as much as we once needed because we have Jalen Brunson. And Julius Randle just has these moments where he's not performing and it 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 affects everything else. His motor, his engage, his body language. Um, it, it's glaring. And because we played a national televised game against the Bucks in the in-season tournament, it was on full display for the rest of the world to see. And it's just not good. And it trickles down into the locker room and it hurts the team chemistry. And then you got Mitchell Robinson and his age, uh, his trainer talking on Instagram. And it just becomes a mess. And for us to be the team that we were last year and to build on that to be an even better team, we're, we're going to need off the court chemistry and engagement to be high. But then on the floor, we're going to need guys to find roles that are going to be suitable and and promoting good basketball for us to win. And that's been the biggest thing with Julius Randle. Like I said, when he first came and he had the MIP season, we needed that. We needed that that jolt. We needed the services. We needed those moments. And we are all appreciative of it. But now that we came to the conclusion that he can't be the head honcho for that type of team, that, that elite team, we brought in Brunson. And it's definitely his team, and I think it's tough for Julius Randle to really figure out where he fits in to be effective. Because when he has nights where the shot ends in falling and he has stretches, because that's been what this season start has been. It's been a disgusting season start, and it's been a stretch of him not scoring the basketball and making shots. He doesn't really know what to do. And credit to him for getting rebounds. I'll give him that. He's been rebounding like a madman. But outside of that, the shot quality, the shot attempts, just 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 no awareness hurting the team with those type of shots. And I always said that those have been full goal shots where you take these heavily contested fall away mid-range jumpers and one night you're making them and you think, oh, that's sustainable. And apparently Tom Thibodeau thinks it too because he continues to green light it. And sometimes that's just the offense where we just have guys ISOing and then we have the four other players just standing around looking. And that can be, like I said, extremely frustrating as a Nick fan, knowing that that's just not going to be sustainable, um, especially in the playoffs. And it's no wonder why every playoffs that we've gotten to with this new team and new regime, we run into this wall of like, oh, Julius is struggling. Yeah, because the stuff he does in the regular season is fool's gold. They're not sustainable solutions for an offensive system. And I don't believe Julius Randle is a hub. I think he's a good player um, who has a, a solid skill set and um, is an incredible athlete. But there are certain nuances and, and IQ things that he struggles with, and it, it affects the team. And it, it affects the team heavily where when he's not creating and converting his shots. And uh, you add on the body language, the disengagement, the miscues on defense, and it turns into a situation that, you know, the team really can't recover from. And it really glows and glares uh, when we're uh, losing um, on these on these nights where Jalen Brunson is having 45. And obviously RJ is being missed, but between Julius – his struggles and Mitchell Robinson shooting 40-something percent as a big who doesn't shoot the basketball at all, it's been a nightmare start um, for me as a Knicks fan, thinking that we were going to have such a better start. Um, Carl Anthony Towns, he's doing his thing as far as impact, but numbers-wise, we're still trying to figure that thing out there in uh, Minnesota. Um, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, we got to talk about one and six start. Do they panic is what the conversation has been. <sighs> they panic. But my, my question with the Grizzlies is how do they panic? When we ask, do they panic? What does that mean? What does panicking mean for them? Do they go out and make a trade? I don't know what's out there. Do they go and get Pascal? 
can they go get Pascal? Like, when is Mar- Marcus Smart eligible to be traded? What do they have that other teams are going to want? They own their first-round pick this year. I think you're more incentivized to keep that. I think that could be the blessing in disguise. This is a tough season. You fold your cards. When Ja comes back, you play. And if you can turn a season around, you do. But if you don't, you don't harp on it. And you take advantage of having a, a lottery pick. And you can either trade that, draft a young stud, whatever you want to do. There's options there. And I think when you have a team like the Grizzlies, the more options you have, the better. And when you can find um, a blessing in disguise in a situation like this, it's been an ugly start. That's also a win. But when I look at the people that are out there, I just don't know if it meshes. This is Carl Anthony Towns out there, you know, Marcus Smart. Because when when Ja comes back, is, is Marcus Smart, uh, is Ja Marcus Smart and the Desmond Bain? And then you know, is that like your? Are you cool with Desmond Bain being a three? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know how they patch this up and if it's going to be worth it. Because by the time Ja comes back, they already started one and six in the first seven games. This team could start one and ten. Realistically, they could start one and ten. Um, they're falling behind the eight ball extremely far, and the West is only going to get tougher and tougher and tougher because by the time Ja comes back, teams will be comfortable and solidified in their roles and what to expect from different players. They'll have their flow. So I, I just don't know. I don't know what that looks like for the Grizzlies as far as panicking. Is that trading away players? Is that trying to be buyers? I, I have no idea. And that's why I'm like, yeah, they panic, and they are panicking. But what does that necessarily mean? Do you go get Carlton Towns? Would the Timberwolves even want Marcus Smart and a future first-round pick or something for Carlton Towns? Will that be enough? I don't know. Maybe not. And if so, then he's too pricey for you. Pascal Siakam, is he going to resign? Giving up a future first-round pick in Marcus Smart, if they would even want that? Is that like, I, I don't know. You already don't have a lot. and You don't want to give up Bain, Jaron Jackson, or Ja, obviously. So that leaves you with like Marcus Smart potentially. I, I just don't know how they really pivot from this to make up ground. Um, so they should panic. And it has been tough. And it is a reflection of Ja Moran because when I watch their games, especially the first four that were really competitive, it's like, man, if they had a, if they have their all NBA guard, they probably win a lot of these games. And they're probably not one in six. You know what I mean? Out of the seven games, they could potentially be four and three, five and two, you know, three and four. And a lot better of a situation than one and six. But um, I think the question is, what does panicking look like for the Grizzlies? That's 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 the question I find myself asking um, when I think about their their current situation. So that's going to be something to watch play out as the season goes. Um, five teams in top 10 offense and defensive um, rating. The Boston Celtics, they have the number one offense and the number seven defense. Fantastic for them. They are scary. The only undefeated team left in the NBA. We also have Philadelphia, who is fourth offensively and fourth defensively. Joel Embiid has been playing out of his mind, um, which has been another exciting thing outside of like Vic and these young players. The guys in this league, they have been performing. 41 points from Durant with Book and Beal out. Steph Curry has been playing out of his mind. Um Donovan Mitchell has been on fire. Uh, Jason Tatum, Embiid, Jokic, Luka. Like, the guys who are the guys have been, when Devin Booker plays, he's performing at a high level. Uh, Anthony Davis has been killing it. Like, the league is on point right now. The league, I'm, I'm, th- this is part of my excitement. So, uh, yeah, Philly is four, fourth offensively, fourth defensively. Got to credit Tyrese Maxey and James Harden there. 
they're keeping it up with James Harden, debacle and trade and everything like that. So shout out to Philadelphia. The Clippers are fifth offensively and they're fifth defensively. James Harden makes his debut tonight in the in the Garden against the Knicks. That's going to be interesting to see that debut. We saw the lineup is going to be Russ, Harden, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Zubak. Um, some people think that eventually Russell Westbrook will have to come off the bench. We'll see there. Um, and then Golden State is ninth offensively, 10th defensively. And then Denver is sixth offensively and sixth defensively. So we got some teams doing anything, top 10 in offense and defense. That's a recipe for uh, championship success. Going to keep my eye on that. Um, and then tonight's game should be exciting. So, um, as always, I appreciate you guys. Like I said before, make sure y'all show love. Leave a five-star review. Be active in the comments. Be active on Twitter. I am found everywhere on social media at Pee Plug. If you have any topics, any hot takes, any opinions, um, if you have any answers to any of the questions I threw out on this podcast episode, make sure you make me aware. I will see you guys next Monday. Enjoy this week of basketball and make sure you're not out there saying nothing crazy because uh, we don't we don't we don't want that type of type of bullshit in the basketball community. No more. No more Wimby and Boba. What's the difference between Boba and Wimby? No more. No more. We're killing those talks. We want to have progressive basketball that makes it fun and exciting. But again, shout out to y'all. I love y'all. I will see y'all next week. As always, I am Pee Wee the Plug, a.k.a. The heliocentric. I'll holler at y'all next time. I'm out. Peace.